Recently in Kampala, I had the chance to talk to Rania Sharif, who's a Canadian environmental engineer deployed on an emergency roster to work with the UNHCR. She's an environmental and health expert and team leader. Rania, what is the scale of the refugee crisis here in Uganda? Okay, so currently in Uganda, which is a landlocked country, uh, there are refugees coming in from uh, multiple locations. So there's refugees coming in from uh, the north, in the West Nile region, from South Sudan. Uh, There's refugees coming in from the west, across Lake Albert, and uh, from the southwest, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, And there's refugees that have been here for for even decades uh, from Rwanda and refugees from Burundi. So in total, there's uh, estimated 1.4 million refugees and asylum seekers in Uganda, and they're spread across the country in uh, over 14 districts and a total of 30 settlements. So in Uganda, we call them settlements because uh, the model is different from other countries where refugees are kept in camps. In Uganda, which has one of the most progressive refugee policies in the world, refugees have uh, freedom of movement and the freedom to work. And they're also given, if they choose to stay in the settlements, they're given a plot of land uh, that they can cultivate and also build a shelter and, and settle on. The refugee settlements are many. Um, In the West Nile region, um, which is where most of the refugees are, that's where we have a high concentration of the South Sudanese refugees that are still coming in. Uh, I believe the number is over a million uh, refugees, uh, South Sudanese refugees in that area. And then in the Midwest region, since uh, the end of 2017, Over 40,000 refugees have come in from across Lake Albert from DRC, uh, and they are being settled in existing settlements that are now expanding. So the scale of the crisis is quite quite large, uh, quite extensive, both geographically and uh, and just in terms of the sheer numbers of refugees. What are some of the environmental challenges that these refugees (laughs) bring? Mm. That's a very good question. Um, I mean, first of all, we have to keep in mind that Uganda itself is a developing country. Uh, So access to uh, technology and resources that are sustainable isn't necessarily widespread in the first place. So when you introduce uh, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of now displaced people uh, that have nothing, that puts a lot of stress on to uh, the local environment. Primarily what, what's happening is as the refugees arrive, uh, they, they immediately need to start construction of, of shelters. They are provided with a sort of modest shelter kit, which can, consists of uh, some poles and some tarpaulins just to keep them uh, sheltered in the, in the short term until they're able to construct. But once they start construction, that means then they need poles, and so you'll find that often going into the local forests and trees uh, are cut to provide that construction material. They're also relying on sometimes on bricks that are fired with firewood, uh, which is also stressing the local forests. And then, just like mo- the majority of Ugandans, 
refugees are primarily relying on firewood and wood fuel for cooking. So this is all cumulatively contributing to the massive rate of deforestation that's been happening in in Uganda. We know in in Uganda there was about 30% forest cover in 1990, and then as of 2015 it was down to 9%. This is a major challenge in Uganda in general, and then once you add refugees uh, and displaced people to that, then that puts further stress on the environment. Other stressors to the environment, uh, besides uh, resulting from from deforestation for energy and for construction, we're also looking at management of of groundwater. So in the refugee settlements now, there's a lot of borehole drilling taking place. So starting to also develop groundwater monitoring programs to make sure that the groundwater is being recharged. Deforestation also doesn't help with that process. Well, basically, when you cut down the trees, that uh, disturbs the ability for water to infiltrate back into the ground. So it can just run off instead of going back into the ground. What about issues of uh, sanitation? Yeah, sanitation is also another major challenge, especially when you have uh, a large influx of people. Uh, before the infrastructure uh, is in place. In areas where there's inadequate sanitation, then we have a higher risk of of disease uh, spreading. There is a rapid response during the emergency response for both hygiene promotion and um, construction of of latrines. So that's something that is ongoing and is a a continuous concern. Uh, How does the host community react to the influx of the refugees? Are there conflicts over sharing land or anything like that? In general, in Uganda, the, um, the position that I've, that I've heard from, from people here is that the refugees are, are brothers and sisters. Um, often cases, especially um, where they're coming in, these are people from the same uh, communities, they're speaking the same language, um, and I think Ugandans are also no, no strangers to lack of, of peaceful coexistence. Um, so I think people here are sympathetic, very sympathetic to the refugees. The host communities in some areas are actually the ones who have basically temporarily allocated their land for the refugees. So especially in the West Nile region, that land belongs to the host community. So I think the hope is that by also by welcoming the refugees, then the host communities can also benefit from infrastructure, from development of the land. So one of the policies in the refugee response is that there should be a, a split in terms of resource investment of 70% to the refugees and 30% to the host communities. And that's to make sure that the host communities are also supported. But you do raise a good point that you know there there can be a risk of conflict if um, resources become scarce. So it is important to be addressing issues like you know the deforestation can create conflict if there's a shortage of wood. Then that'll affect both communities. It's beautiful to hear that because the impression that we have in the West is what we see are examples of absolute xenophobia against refugees. I've been in Uganda since December, and my my impression of 
of the people here, and it's been reinforced time and again, is that they're very um, warm and caring and friendly and welcoming people. So I think the culture here is one of acceptance and compassion. One other area that is, I guess, critical to this whole uh, situation is that the the outcomes will really depend on ultimately the funding that's that's received. So right now the operation is about 5% of its required funding. And so when you don't have enough funding, then you need to start making tough choices in terms of where to spend the money. And in the emergency response, that will go directly to <clears throat> things that are immediately critical for life-saving. Um, and that can come also then at the expense of uh, of the environment uh, and of uh, the longer-term uh, development of the region. With with adequate funding, then we can start making investments now in protecting the environment and also in developing long-term solutions for the refugees and the host populations. Why has so little funding arrived? So that's a, a very good question. I think in terms of the geopolitics of, of refugee response. That's an area that I'm less of an expert. As you know, I'm a technical expert. But there could be any number of, of factors. There could be a competing interests, uh, competing needs across the world. Even in the refugee response, there's displaced more and more displaced people. It could be a, a lack of understanding uh, in the international community of, of the need. Um, because it's not uh, in in people's everyday um, view, so this out of sight, out of mind. There could be uh, issues of of lack of confidence in in um, the the outcomes. So is the money that's being invested resulting in in the impact? And that's something that you know there are many partners on the ground here that are, are working together now to uh, better coordinate and also streamline our reporting, monitoring and evaluation and to really make it clear what, what the challenges are and communicate to the international community that there, there is an immediate need. Um, but until you're out there, I mean, last week I attended one of the settlements in the Midwest, where Changwali, where the refugees have been coming in at, at a very high rate, so over 40,000 since the beginning of the year. Many of them still haven't registered or, or received their plot of land. So they're in a very precarious situation. And I've been reading about it for weeks, but until I really I arrived on the site and I was able to smell you know, the smells and see the people and make eye contact with people and and be there, it wasn't, uh, it just wasn't as real. So I think one of the challenges is, is one of uh, communicating that experience to draw out the empathy in the international community. Becoming a refugee is absolutely, totally catastrophic. Why are the people having to leave? In Uganda, the neighboring countries have had a history of civil unrest. For sure there's been some conflict that's driven out mainly women and children from South Sudan, uh, from horrific conditions and also uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, so DRC. So in DRC there's talk of tribal conflict and also maybe conflict over, over land 
to access the resources and the mines that are over there. So militias are, are raiding territory. But I'm not sure if there's any real specific characterization of, of who's doing what and and where. Uganda has so much arable land and the sunshines. And do they have any climate change issues? Yeah, climate change is an issue in, in Uganda uh, as the rest of the world. Um, but in Uganda specifically, especially with, with the deforestation um, in some regions, it's been observed that the seasons have shifted um, and the microclimates have been affected. So areas where you would have um, rain, there's less rain, uh, especially in the West Nile region. So qualitatively, I've heard these observations that there has been uh, change in, clim- in local climate. Rania, what can ordinary Canadians do? How can they support your work and support the work of the UNHCR and uh, try to help refugees? I think uh, what ordinary Canadians can do on an ongoing basis is, first of all, get informed and take an interest in what's happening. So looking at media outlets uh, besides the, the conventional media outlets that we're exposed to in Canada, but there is coverage of what's happening uh, in international media outlets. Um, so stay interested and and find out what's happening. And also in terms of tangible support, then looking at um, agencies that are on the ground here and looking at supporting them through, through the Canadian uh, partners. It's possible to donate directly to agencies like UNHCR or NG- other NGOs that are on the ground. Um, to providing tangible financial support and also to keep these discussions going within uh, your friends and family and community so so these issues are being discussed and not just um, a, f- a passing headline or tweet that it's something that, that we're engaging with on, on an ongoing basis. Would there be any websites that you could recommend? Um, In terms of the refugee response in Uganda, uh, we have set up a portal called ugandarefugees.org, and there is information being posted there uh, regularly with updated uh, statistics and facts and even what specific sectors are working on. Uh, So that's a good resource. And uh, and unhcr.org also is uh, always posting uh, good information. Thank you very much.